Okay, we got another another test. This is again with the gain up significantly more. This and is also a test. Yes. It's te we're testing it right now because it's also a test. Is what it's a it is. It's a, is it a test of the test? Uh, it is. Okay. No, it is. We're testing the test because uh, yeah. we've we've done a couple of these, so we're testing the, the test. Here we go. Yes. 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 Oh. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Oh. Episode two of yeah. Omni the podcast. I'm Gifford. Loose. And um, ready to get back at it. Uh, loose, though, before we get into this, um, how was your weekend? Because we're recording this on a Sunday, and I think your weekend was, how was it? Pretty eventful. Um, I would say my weekend is really characterized by hanging out with my good friend, Alex. Alex, if you're listening, what's up? Shout out. He's moving to Orange County, and so, yeah, we just hit some, like, uh, of his favorite places in Portland and hung out. And I'm really sad to see him go, and also really excited for this uh New chapter for him and his girlfriend, Marissa. All right. Again, shout out for Alex. I, of course, was doing a lot of soccer stuff. As people know, I coach uh, soccer and also enjoy watching soccer. And um, the difference I always find is interesting, the how I behave and how I act on the sidelines when I'm actually coaching versus when I'm watching professionals and the, the profanities that come out of my mouth as I watch professional <laughs> sports that I just can't have when I'm coaching high school boys soccer. Uh, excellent, so we got a great uh, episode today that we've put together a bunch of different stuff here. I hope uh, everybody's gonna like it. We're gonna get back into our exclusive rating system, the ERS. Uh, got a little bit on education, which people found very uh, fascinating from our last episode. A little bit of philosophy talk, a little bit of music, and I uh, did find, um, Jeff, you're gonna like this, found some really cool articles on some new stuff that's coming out in psychology. I think that we're gonna, Hit too, so we'll get to all that. Yeah, looking forward to it. Our first block then is going to be on the exclusive rating system, and I before um, get into this anymore, I do want to say because there was some feedback from some people, or you know, that don't live in Portland, and they're were questioning our, are we just going to do reviews of Portland? Uh, you know area stuff that's not really interesting it doesn't you know speak broadly and i think that we might be missing the point because my idea with the exclusive rating system was to give people an opportunity to have an objective way to 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 measure places in their own in their own towns not so much that we're trying to again do reviews of portland stuff but how do you do a review that's so interesting. That's completely not what I thought that this was going to be about. I thought it was very much going to be about like this Portland immersion sort of like hitting up new places for like the exploratory aspect of it. But if you had a different takeaway and if we're providing the people with the structure that it is that they need to evaluate the places they go, I'm happy to be providing that to them as well. And of course, we'll be going to places uh, and checking them out so that we can demonstrate how to use it but yeah. it's not necessarily like oh next time you're in portland kind of thing okay so we did actually uh go check this out tried the um uh tried the ers out in a place and brought our equipment out so we had a live a live recording and we'll let you hear that right now all right here we are ready for our first live uh recording podcast and how to do this on location because we are finalizing our exclusive rating system. I don't know finalizing, but we're getting the... the, the we're the, finding it. We're yes. improving it. Enhancing it. Enhancing it. Putting it to the test, but rubber hits the road on this. And exclusive rating system. 
also uh, colloquially known as the MF ERS. A lot of people, lot of people were talking about that. Yeah, that's how they want to refer to it as. And so we chose in our first episode, we talked about introducing the ERS as, and the example was a hot dog stand, and I made all the silly things. So when we said, hey, if we're going to try this out, we should try a hot dog stand. Yeah. So we found one, did the old Yelp search, Google search, all that, found a this and drove out here today beautiful day today actually and so uh, and what uh, we have categories the the first impression quality people attention to detail and uniqueness so let's start with that first one loose was we pulled in uh, how did you what was your first impressions and how did you rate this so first impressions uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say meats uh, whenever we walked up there's a menu, and there are more options than I would have expected. There are 11 standard hot dog options in the menu, as well as specials. I was pretty delighted, pretty surprised to see that any of the uh, options um, can be basically turned into a corn dog version of the hot dog. Oh, instead I saw of, that, instead yeah. of like the bun model format, I was like, oh, okay, I want to switch it up today. You know? um, I was pretty also delighted to see a drive through option. Given that this is an outdoor seating only establishment, it's basically like a coffee shack that's been like remodeled and renovated into like a hot dog place. Um, and there's a friendly notification letting you that if you take one of the early parking spots, you may very well be blocked in due to the uh, long traffic line from the drive through because all the people that are flocking there for the hot dogs. So it, that was the meat on yeah, that one? I'm okay. Yes. And just to remind everybody that we are using. A um, sort of categories on our um, uh, for each of these uh, either meeting expectations, the exceeding, going beyond, and the the sub wasn't quite what we were looking for. And you went with meat, and I I went with meat as well. It okay. was what I kind of was thinking. Um, it didn't exceed in the way that I I could have driven right by this place and not seen it. It didn't uh, stand out as like I wouldn't know it was a hot dog stand until I maybe read the. The signage on it that it says Frank's a lot kind of gave it away. It's a coffee shack. Um, and so, but it, it is. I mean, there's the, some nice stuff with the the, um, the awning out in front, too, in case it's raining. Customers don't get wet on there. And uh, the drive through also, I thought, was interesting. Now, our next category is getting into the quality, because that's obviously why you come, right? The quality. And uh, for full disclosure, I went with the special today. They had a, uh, a cheese hot dog. Uh, a cheesy dog and um, and I was gonna go just with the dog and then I saw they had fries and then I uh, also noticed that they had the onion rings so I actually have fries onion rings and the cheesy dog special I know a little over the top but you know you got to have everything if you want to you know really get the quality of it and I would say the quality uh, it's a hot dog I would say it for me it met uh, the the bun was exactly how I wanted it to be. The the dog was exactly how I wanted. The the fries were exactly how I wanted to. It, it, the one thing that might have exceeded was the onion rings, uh, because they were not. Sometimes they make fat, fat, fat onion rings where you're like chomping on onion. These were uh, a little thinner, and I I kind of like appreciated that for the onion rings. So, but overall, it was exactly what I wanted. Got a dog. Got the kind of dog I wanted. Got the right toppings on it, and I I went with meat. For the, cheesy, do. for the cheesy dog. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to say meat. Um, I really did not serve Frank's a lot up for success because 
I got a Chicago dog because I lived there for a while and I sort of felt like compelled like I had to get like a Chicago dog. You know, like I really don't like them. I kind of hate them. But it's just like, oh, I lived in Chicago. I better get one of these. And like, it was okay. I think, you know, I would otherwise maybe say exceed expectations because some of the other options on the menu look uh, pretty tasty, especially in that corn dog format, I could imagine. Uh, yeah, so for our next category here, people, I'm going to kick it over to Gifford, see what he thinks. Yeah, this was uh, the category that I kind of introduced last time, and that had to do with uh, the, the people, the the service, uh, and, and the clientele, and they, they, they bring a certain ambiance to this place. And when I came up uh, to order, there was uh, a couple in there. I don't know the relation, but I assume they were a couple because they spent time together uh, <laughs> working in the shack. And very friendly, uh, helped me out uh, excessively. Uh, she made sure my order was done correctly. She talked about the menu items. And when I uh, changed my mind, I, I said, oh, I saw the, the onion ring and some fries. And she said, hey, how about I throw a couple onion rings in there just so you can try them as well. And she just did that sort of immediate customer service that I love. I love them saying, oh, well, sorry, screw you. You already ordered. She took an extra step yeah. on there. And mm -hmm. then when, when there's the... Uh, she actually came out of the booth and, and sprayed because there's a little bit of uh, some, some bugs coming around here. And so she wanted to just kind of help out with that a little bit. She even came out another time and asked to see how things are going. So as far as, you know, the staff. And then when I look around at the clientele here, looks like everybody is pretty satisfied with it. Everybody looks happy. They look like they're out, look like they want a dog and they're coming and getting a dog. They're extremely satisfied. There was a, even a dog here getting a dog. Uh, and so... I'd say, I'd say to the people, this this exceeded. This was better than I would have expected. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I agree. Um, the uh, staff, I think, are exceptional. The same uh, individual who was helping Gifford, who works as both a cashier and a server, it seems like, uh, was coming back from delivering your order to you, saw me waiting in line, and promptly right that. there and then took my order when I was in line before I even reached the front of the line, and then promptly directed me to the side window for an easy card payment. Though, folks, they do request cash here. Sorry, Frank's a lot. Um, but yeah, I'm going to have to say exceptional as well, and it seems like the clientele here are friendly, nice people. It seems like what you'd expect for a hot dog stand. All right, then our, our next one uh, was the uh, attention to detail, uh, the little the little things. Uh, Luce, how did, what did you rate them on this? I'm going to say meats. Uh, as soon as you walk up, there is a uh, wall with pictures that features uh, some of the employees and some of the uh, famous patrons dressed up in hot dog uniforms. Uh, it's pretty awesome. And then in the back, there are... Uh, are those cardboard tall cutout things uh, where you can stick your faces through to get a picture and it's a ketchup bottle and a mustard bottle? Pretty cute. I like it. Um, bring your fucking family here. This is a, this is a family establishment. You can come here and uh, have some hot dogs. It's, uh, yeah, attention to detail I think caters to that. Yeah, and I, I gave oh, it... Oh, if I could interrupt you briefly. There are no alcohol options, which also I guess makes it like family friendly and reinforces that, but a little disappointed in that. I thought there might be some alcohol. Okay. Yeah, something people look forward to. I also gave it a meets, and uh, again, it the you know those kind of things like having the, the picture wall up and the cardboard cutouts. But there's also the tiles on the roof are kind of falling off a little bit. There's some 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 flaking paint on uh, some of the uh, outdoor furniture to it. Uh, just a little bit that. Uh, you know, maybe hard to to maintain that and and 
but that's why exactly it meets it. This isn't like over the top. I you know there are some some dirty spots, but this is an outdoor seating place. So I'm not you know concerned with. That's why it, it would be in the meet and not the exceed on that, which would really bring us down to the last category, the uh, uniqueness. Now this was the category that you uh, thought about offering up. Uh, in our ERS, uh, how did you come up with it for the uh, unique? So, despite uh, ranking quality as meets expectations and attention to detail meets expectations, I would say for the essential uniqueness, I would say exceeds. This appears to be the only one of this establishment. Like, it's not a chain. There's not other locations of this, like Frank's a lot. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It seems like it's pretty unique compared to like any other hot dog place I've been to. I now can't imagine Portland without Frank's lot. Nice. Uh, and this may be the one area where we disagree with. I, I went oh. with the, um, the the meats for uniqueness. That uh, I think that somebody could do a very similar thing. They don't have a, a particular edge to their business model that somebody just down the street couldn't replicate and start selling, you know, Frank's a lot too or something like that, have, you know, have their own thing. I guess the the final question I wanted to throw at you uh, would you would you come back? I would. Yes, in the event that I was interested in having a hot dog, which is like never. So I'm not <laughs> going to come back. I would though. I, you know, I, I'm not a big hot dog fan myself yeah. either. But you know, if I was hungry and I was in the neighborhood and I saw, I would go. Yeah, I know. I know a nice place we can go get uh, lunch. The and, place. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right, we're back, and uh, that was Frank's a lot. Hope everybody uh, has a, when you have a craving for a dog, you go give those guys a uh, check out. Now, after we got done recording, we did go to the uh, the cutouts and got our picture taken there. And we ran into some uh, some of the, the, the clientele. They helped, they actually, this guy, we asked him to help take our picture for us because, you know, when we're in the cutouts, we can't do it. And uh, Luce, what do you what do you think about the, those uh, the people that we were interacting with? Oh, there? they were they were super nice. I mean, you could tell that guy had been around that area for a long time. I can't remember what year he said that he like graduated or had moved, but he referenced sort of the last time that he was living there. And yeah, apparently like Frank's lot's been a community staple for for a long time. So it's it was cool to see like that legacy and like just know that there was a cool hot dog place that he remember remembers and still exists and lives there. And he uh, the he confirmed that the the woman that gave us that excellent service was the owner as uh, as I suspected. So nice, so kind. And um, it was a, a gift though that kept uh, on giving because um, that uh, dog I had and the fries and the onion rings uh, I I didn't need to have dinner that. Oh night my god, too. I didn't eat it for like four days. It after. did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe if you're budget conscious and want to skip a meal, that's a good way to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, loose when we think about the exclusive rating system we gave it a try that was our first kind of go at it was there something that you think we need to adjust or or, or improve on or? well like when we pitched it on our first episode we were talking about like some sort of like number or like a meter and some sort of system to give it like a grade or a score or something like almost like rotten tomatoes um and we didn't really apply any of that math to it when we showed up for frank's lot i'm cool with that i think that the ERS is probably just going to be like this continuously evolving organic thing, I hope. And yeah, and I thought that it was a little confining, uh, meaning that there were some categories where not exceed, but better than meat. And I think maybe we need to add some some gradients in there, like meats plus 
or meets exceeds oh, minus yeah. something okay. along those lines. Yeah, into it, and possibly even um, putting some weight on the the different categories. Like maybe the, you know some is worth more than others. I know you uh, wanted to get to these uh, measurements that could lead up to sixty nine being the highest. Uh, if so, possible. So we'll have to uh, work on that. So yeah. uh, stay tuned. Next episode, we'll see what uh, what comes up with that. Our next block is uh, on education. Again, we uh, are both in uh, in education, and I, you know, I've written a bunch of like questions and, and queries and stuff to like discussion topics uh, for this. And the one for today, uh, I, I'm sure you have lots of opinions on this. I'm sure anybody that works in education has lots of opinions on this. But, Luce, what is the most absurd thing? Uh, about public education that you know so i talk with a lot of friends about this and i think a lot of educators just have concerns about the worth and value of like the diploma credential like what does it mean there are kids who will graduate from our schools and they will achieve so highly and they will go on to do such great things and the diploma as being this like certified credential to get where they are academically is like critically important and then we also just sort of like hand it out and there's like credit recovery and stuff and we are at the analogy i use all the time is like these like kids who we are dragging we are literally dragging them across the finish line to help them graduate so they can walk away with a piece of paper because we know that i mean it's just so tremendously detrimental to them and their benefit if they don't have that ged or that diploma but like what is it actually worth and the ridiculousness the charade of a diploma being like your certified credential to say that you met some sort of standard when that standard is just really out the window and there's other avenues that you can pursue to uh show certification and get your degree yeah that's funny because as uh, you were saying that i was thinking about how many times i've sat at a graduation ceremony and Wait, that kid graduated? Wait, he gra- that kid never even showed up in my class. How are they graduating? Oh my God, yeah. And it's it, yeah, it is it is kind of a, a folly that number of graduation rates what that means because it doesn't really a, fo- a superficial moniker that is like a a folly. Yeah, for sure. I would like to see in the future maybe like I know that there are differentiated types of like diplomas that are out there, and I'd like to see like even more. With one being, like, the shithead diploma. Like, you showed up, we babysat you, and that's really all that occurred. And, you know, you didn't achieve that high academically. You didn't do your homework. We made you sit in a chair to take, like, a state assessment, but, like, you really didn't even, like, lift a finger. And it's like, that's cool, dude. Yep, you get your citizenship certification of having been forced through that institutional process. But, like, you don't get the diploma that says you did well academically or you met academic certification that's uh it's interesting because that kind of leads into what i was going to to hit on it's it's it really parallels what you're saying and maybe that's one of the absurdness of our job is uh, i had a a senior one year in class it was an econ class it was required he this uh the student that i that i had in this class needed this credit to you know as part of it so you there's like a certain number of credits you need in our district it's 24 credits mm-hmm. my class was a 0.5 and he had to get that for uh you know he that and i was so he didn't show up he's not showing up he's a senior and like i know there's a lot of pressure getting the seniors so it pulls transcript and take a look see you know get some information on who this kid is what are the classes he has and i found out that he's a senior second semester senior 
uh, he had 0.5 credits overall. So he wasn't on track in any sort of way to graduate. And yet I was trying to hold him accountable and he showed up like one or two times. Like, what are we doing? Like, why can't we just let this kid go? Why do we make him be part of this and take away the resources from everybody else? I can't, a senior with 0.5 credit, some, we failed him somewhere along the line. It's not so much that he was a bad kid, kind of liked him, actually had a couple conversations with him, but uh, no, he wasn't He wasn't playing the game, and somehow we were pretending that he was playing the game. Pretending. It's, it's, a, weird, it's a weird world, this public education, because we have to you know provide it for everybody. Yeah. Okay, as we are gradually solving all the problems in public education, uh, shall we move on to our next section? Let's do it. All right, block three today is going to be three things philosophy and one or two sort of piggybacks. So those of you who listened to episode one uh, heard us talk about David Hume and how much, you know, have the uh, the philosopher crush on Hume. Uh, did you uh, take away any, any, did you see any Hume uh, in your life since the last episode? No. I did not observe any exist, existing uh, Hume aspects in my daily life. Okay. All right. He was there. You just didn't see it. That's, and I, you know, that's fine. Um, so today I wanted to bring up uh, Rene Descartes, who is, again, sort of a counterbalance to the stuff that Hume was doing. And he is, uh, it, it, you almost might want to call him a Renaissance man. He actually lived in the uh, late, was born in, in 1596 and died somewhere where just Luce just took my notes away. So I forget when he actually died. Thank you. Uh, 1650. So he's living, you know, almost 100 years before David Hume. And he's a French guy. And we're at this point, like we're in his life. The printing press has been out now for, you know, almost 100 years. And literacy is exploding. And here's a guy who is super intellectual. So he's into everything. He has his fingers in all sorts of things. He uh, writes books on mathematics. He writes books on um, uh, on optics. He sets some of the, the standards for uh, optics. And he is uh, he comes into philosophy with a couple um, important things, but it is a lot like today the issue that he's dealing with, and that is how do we know. If something is true or real, like we can't believe everything that we read. And today, so much of the content is being generated by AI that you have to question everything. And that's what that's what Descartes was doing back in his day when they used to just say, if it's a written in a book, it must be true. But truths became uh, controversial or sometimes contradicting, maybe a better word for that. And he started being in questioning. Well, how do I know something is real? That's, of course, where I think anybody, maybe you didn't associate this with Descartes, but this is his famous line that um, I think, therefore, I am. He said, I can't, I, there's things I just can't believe. I mean, like today, like you could have a VAR headset on and not know what's going on, uh, you know, what's, what's real around you. But the one thing that you could count on is that if you can think, you are. I think, therefore, I am. It seems like Descartes, like so many other prominent uh, philosophers, uh, you know, they were have this obsession, and they go about it through like branding of their own take on philosophy and morals, uh, moral theory. That there's just an obsession with like black and whiteness in laws and principles, and really wanting to have definitions behind them. Um, but the 
it, it, because that's reason. I mean, it's logic. You have to build logic on certain things. You and, and logic falls apart if there's any of the you know the things that you build logic upon. If there's any breaks in that, then the whole thing falls down. Totally. Yeah. It's like he's and other philosophers are going about sort of defining the laws in like a very structured, almost like scientific way of going about things because the establishment of like virtues and principles is so critically important for the scaffolding of like greater ideas whereas like I mean just that realistically there's just so much gray like I don't I don't like hard like truths um you know are not are not they're not real like we understand the world according to the knowledge that we've accumulated at this time and we will understand more on into the future but like pure virtue and pure knowledge I don't know it seems like he has more of an obsession with it than maybe other philosophers as opposed to like an acceptance of like absurdism or like uh, randomness but if you're going to go down the road and say that there isn't any absolute truths that's where he comes back to this with this one totally. absolute truth this is one thing that he knows he exists because he can think and if you want to say the rest of the world absurd, you can say everything else is gray. That's at least one thing that you have that you can say this is truth. So do you think he in reality then would actually be accepting of and flirt with like the notion that there, there, there is really a ton of gray? But like this is just his one thing where he's like, nope, no gray in this sense. I am a soul and that is proven because I have thoughts. I think that's exactly where he's going at that in this world of uncertainty and, and maybe people, you know, again, resonates with people today. How do you know anything's true? Well, the one thing that you can absolutely say is true that you have existence because you have the, you have thoughts. Mm -hmm. It does seem like really perversely like egocentric or like really individualistic in the sense that it's like everyone has minds and perhaps he really liked his and he really thought much of his own mind but that like does certify and validate his soul and is not looking at it from maybe like later philosophers how they sort of um introduce existentialism and he doesn't view us as bugs he it views us as being like very special things like very special entities and it's like there's a, there's so much value in that like i have thoughts and like i am a person as opposed to like just a bug which, uh, in nice segue, I don't know if you, you meant to do that because... Uh, oh, I meant it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing I want to bring out of, about Descartes is his idea of dualism. This is a huge philosophical idea, and uh, we have already established that you are an atheist, and this is his argument, maybe, in a way, to you about this, and of course you're going to argue with him, not me, about this. You know I will. Uh, that there is a separation between um, the the mind it's he says that it's dualism because there's two there's a fundamental substance of the universe and one is of the mind it's the spirituality it's our consciousness it's our thoughts and ideas that we just talked about and the other is the physical the material the body and so there's a separation between the ethereal the stuff uh that is you know our thoughts and and you know wherever god is and god exists separate from the physical and so when people say oh where is god and, and you know there's no evidence of god well he's going to say well, god exists in a different realm than this physical world that we're in that there is in a different place that this would uh, you know uh, would fit 
obviously it's really important to the people who do believe in spirituality and uh the idea of like a soul or something that that this stuff can like really really resonate with them as opposed to more of like uh the existentialist or uh the person who thinks that we are all bugs like myself in that um yeah you have like this physical vessel that is flesh and bones and then you have like your mind that is like spiritually superseding that of your physical person i mean that's kind of what's going on with like mind body dualism right i i, I think that is this but around the idea that uh our consciousness is a thing right but you can't it doesn't have causality in the world around it's not something you can measure okay this, this guy has 0.82 consciousness <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like it is a thing, but it, it's beyond our ability to measure it. We still, you know, in the brain, we still are not. We can't put our finger on exactly where consciousness is, mm -hmm. and the the levels of consciousness. It's so special. It just sounds. Is it consciousness sounds just so special? Well, I think it kind of is. I do like being conscious uh -huh. versus being unconscious. How conscious are? I don't know. Whatever. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like you can't measure. It's a thing. Uh huh. It's and you know, getting back to what he said, you know, I think therefore I am proves that there is that existence. Okay. All right. So moving on then, uh, yeah, because this is obviously a big topic. We could spend more time. Oh, on, we could spend a ton of time. It, no, it actually no, we're not moving on. We're, we're, we're going to linger here for just a second longer because I mean, what would what would Descartes say about I mean, like the individual who is like brain dead? But like their physical vessel is still alive and they're being kept alive like on you know the machines are keeping them going is there like a soul that is like in there that just can't be expressed because of the limitations of the physical body i mean that's where i think this argument maybe kind of collapses a little bit with like mind body dualism and it's like our mind is tons of neurons that are simultaneously firing that is so physiological in nature that it's like there's no dualism they're part of the same thing you could dis you could disagree with me. I don't know if I'm going to disagree, but I where I kind of struggle with this is in the 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 spectrum of it. So I don't see us being that much different than our bonobo and chimp relatives, okay, or my dog. And then you know, if you want to go down, you know, keep going down the line to like a an ant or something. Does it an ant have consciousness? And then what about seaweed? Does seaweed have consciousness? At what like one point where? Is that when you look at it like a spectrum, you can't say, oh, like sentient volition or something. Yeah, like, or like just choice. because we're humans, I don't feel any, you know, I think that a, a gorilla is pretty, you know, sentient, pretty, it understands, it makes decisions, mm -hmm. it weighs things, you know, dolphins that, that you know, work together for and have their purposes. So I don't know, like, is a dolphin not conscious? Well, that's ridiculous because it, it probably is. In the capacity that its physiological brain provides a consciousness, yes. Do you think, like, uh, it'd be cool if like animals had their own gods and stuff. Like they, they had their own versions of like I'm a soul and I'm a recipient of like I'm, like the humans and the Jesus Christ. Eh? I'm blah, pretty blah, sure blah. my dogs think I'm God though. Oh, it <laughs> <laughs> just treats appear out of nowhere. It's it's like magic. Uh -huh. All right, so okay, are we good on dualism? Can we can we move on? Whatever. Just because there's, I mean, people are very busy. People listening to our podcast while they're you know prepping their you know their salads for the week or or they're driving in their car, whatever they're up to right now. So the last thing with Descartes here, three things, is him and ethics. And, of course, you know that I am a big fan of ethics as a study. And he's going to come on. He's a deontologist, which means he is um, 
that there are rules to ethics and he's a rationalist so he's going to say you could actually think about you could actually bring up uh, rules uh and, and apply them so uh, particularly what he was interested in is uh, universal rules that you could just say no matter what a situation is you know killing if is bad that's just that's just an easy example because i think most people would agree that killing is bad even though we kill we do have discretions in that fundamentally most people would say killing is bad yeah so i don't know much about deontology but i know he's he's big into it he's he's a big deontology guy and that kind of surrounds like the means justify the ends like the moral reasoning is the most important part of how someone's actions could be judged it is why they are doing it um not so much as as, as opposed to the ends justify the means like this consequentialist um version right isn't that what deontology is basically it's uh you have duties and obligations yeah. in deontology to to f- fulfill your your rules whatever to to, to live up to those standards yes mm-hmm. This is so great because I know we're eventually going to talk about Kant here. And like, oh yeah, this is going to get right into Kant stuff. Uh That there you could actually wait. Okay, all right. Um, Maybe. Yeah, and you know, but can is it even possible to have absolute role, absolute rules in morality, and say if you just thought about something long enough, you could say you're right. This is this is bad, and even though people do have transgressions, it's still wrong. Stealing is wrong. Taking other people's stuff is wrong. Block four. Some music talk. Yeah. Luce, what do you got for us today? Okay, so for music corner for this uh, this episode, um, <laughs> I want to talk about the empty bottle. Uh, the empty bottle is a venue in Chicago, Illinois, neatly situated in the Ukrainian village neighborhood uh, on the west side of Chicago. Started in the early '90s and was really intimately separate inseparable from the explosion of indie rock music coming out of Chicago at the time. It's still alive and well today. I believe they host bands, I think, every single night there's a performance there. Nice. Usually it's just local stuff, but they have a lot of bands on tour and like the sort of lower to mid-caliber touring acts or whatever. Uh, The 90s Chicago scene was so critically important in the development of independent rock music, and it's really difficult to imagine how that development development would have played out without the core set of venues providing fertile space for those bands to bloom the empty empty bottle being the most essential in my opinion um the gradual migration of louisville bands calling chicago home um took some serious residence in the empty bottle and there are just so many bands and i don't want to sort of list them off because they're kind of cliche at this point for for how big they are now and people are really learning about those Louisville and Chicago bands. But um, Gifford, can you think of a comparably essential venue here in the city of Portland, so fundamentally valuable to the music community? I know like Satyricon was a pretty special thing here that existed before I got here. Yeah, um, Roseland Theater also, one of those kind of places where you know you would see the sort of traveling bands that aren't playing in the, the major stadiums, but would actually have that because I remember the Satyricon back in the late 80s. Um, I saw Black Flag there. I saw a couple of different bands that awesome. I and I don't even remember. Like I, I would just be, uh, we were just going there because we knew that it was something, mm-hmm. something loud and something punky. How, how big is this uh, empty bottle place? Uh, it's pretty small. I'd say it's maybe like 1,500 square feet. Um, there's sort of a, a 
little like entry room where they have a pool table and there's a photo booth and I think bands would sell merchandise there and then you walk into this other room to its side and there's this really elongated bar it very much just looks like a bar like it doesn't look like a venue at all there just happens to be like an opening at the end and there's a stage there I think it actually started out as a bar before it quickly became a venue like the next year um yeah it's something that I think that a lot of people are missing uh in our our modern music world is the intimacy of these small kind of venues to see a band when you're right there close to them and they can make eye contact to you people paid ridiculous money to go see uh swift or rihanna or something like that and they're so small on the stage you have to be watching them on the, the giant tvs and there's just zero intimacy you're you were not, so removed from yeah. the performer yeah i remember seeing a, a band one time and i was dancing up front and swinging around out of control and hit the bass player's you know guitars i always would like talk about intimate like i was right there and he was all startled like dude back up but, yeah. but that's the entrance so uh, uh the empty bottle had a cat who lived there rad nice who I had the privilege of meeting. Uh, sadly, Radley died in 2009. Uh, the cat was like really naturally dismissive of people because it was just constantly around people. And that sort of made sense to me. But Radley was unusually content and comfortable existing in the venue where there were like really discordant like noise and experimental rock acts going on, which is kind of funny. Just like it was comfortable amid all of that and the chaos. Um, at the Empty Bottle, I would often see Tim Kinsella of Joan of Arc and all those bands uh, posting up at the Empty Bottle and had some really great conversations with him. You can just kind of show up there and have like a very naturalized, quintessentially Chicago community music experience. Whenever I was living there, they would host this open mic or an open sign-up thing every Mondays that was really cool. I, ho I hope they still do that. I don't know. Um, I had a birthday get-together there in uh, the late aughts to see the then-local project Lichens before he moved to New York, and they opened for Grails on tour, who happens to be from here in Portland. Um, I tied one off that night. I had a blast. All my best <laughs> friends were there. It was my favorite show at that venue. I would say the Empty Bottle is probably my favorite venue in the world. They just do it right. It's cheap. It's easy. There's great people there. Um, the venue feels primarily more like a bar than a music venue, like I had mentioned. Um, yeah, definitely check it out if you go to Chicago. It's somewhat close to Wicker Park, so if you like want to do this touristy like hipster thing, like you're just there anyway, so you can just like cruise down there and see who's playing at the Empty Bottle. It's uh, again interesting, like when you think about music, that any big artist that you think of today has played small venues like this, has been in the bars. Uh, my Stepmom always tells a story about she lived in Southern California right next to Whiskey at Go-Go, which was a big venue back in the day, but it was a small, and she would go in there for lunch sometimes because mm. it was a, like, you know, it was just a bar, restaurant, whatever, right by where she worked, and she rumors hearing the doors, uh, you know, warming up or, you know, putting, setting up the stage because they were going to play great. that night. That's cool. And she was like, God, these guys are never going to go anywhere. Uh-huh. Missed that one, but uh, you know, but everybody, any big artist has to play these things, and why I think it's important that people take a moment to go out. I now I'm really curious about going to the Empty Bottle. Oh, for sure, yeah. I think I saw recently, and sort of looking up some details, there's a like 200 page uh, work that came out, and it's just a lot of like memories, and just a lot of like testimony, and just a lot of like reminiscing stories about um, sort of the early heyday and the existence of it. Um, yeah, I really, really can't imagine music 
and independent music without the empty bottle in Chicago in the 90s and like where bands are with independent music now. Block five. Uh, this is one of my favorites. This is the um, interesting psychological research, the latest stuff that's coming out because uh, it's 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 always changing, uh, always changing new stuff coming out. And uh, I found a couple articles you're going to like this time, Luce. Uh The first one is, called, uh, is titled Modified Virtual Reality Tech Can Measure Brain Activity. So what these uh, guys did uh, was use a, a meta VR headset and those are designed for people to, to wear them for long periods of time. And then they created these um, uh, little EEG sensors that could go inside. Um, can, uh, Luce, would you mind like just refresher on what the EEG sensors can do? Yeah, so electroencephalograph um, basically measures electric neural activity in the brain. Um, and it can, I think, localize it to a degree. I'm sure like the technology on this will just improve and improve more in localizing where the electrical activity is occurring. Um, yeah, really fundamentally important for clinical research um, and treatment, um, especially for things like ADHD and sensory issues and things like that experience. It's a sleep research, too, uses totally. a lot of those. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, what was kind of cool about this uh, article was that they have, are able now to have sort of real-time data. So people be interacting with the VR and be able to then they can see how much brain activity and sort of the regions of the brain that are getting this. Giving that sort of real uh, you know, feedback on that and that, that has all sorts of implications. This study was done out of University of Austin, Texas, and it's actually folded into some larger research um, ongoing in sort of how do humans and robots interact. And so you can imagine maybe in the future they'll be able to, you have your headset on, you're watching the robot through your headset, and it can tell, I don't know, your activity. Maybe you can give instructions to the robot. It reads your, uh, your EEG signals and be able to... Uh, change course or adapt to simultaneously in real time in real time mm -hmm. um it's uh i think again it's this, this fascinating intersection between uh neural pathways and uh technology will be you know we're not we're not quite at the point of plugging in but if we can read what's going on without actually having plug in this is sort of the first step in that red flags all over the place red flags oh, all come over on. the place no is, man this is just one other like potential vessel for corporations to systematically harvest and collect our human behavior to basically understand our behaviors and insecurities and repackage them to us as like a commodity it's a commodity it's a vessel i think to um i could see it just being really nefarious in the future i understand that that's not why they're using it right now but like the more you know we have like ar and these sort of things embedded into our daily experiences if they're also simultaneously taking data on it they're understanding the more they're further understanding the nuances with which we um, make decisions yeah, obviously whatever can be used for good could be used for evil mm -hmm. it sounds like you have very little faith in humankind no i, I little maybe <laughs> i don't know maybe. blade rudder 2049 is our future oh. just giant corporations will have more power than governments and like they're not going to be able to hold them back Ouch. Okay. All right. Um, Be scared. <laughs> Halloween's coming up. Uh, then the uh, second article was, uh, this one was called, this one, um, 
has animals in it, which I, uh, I, I, I hope no animals were hurt in this, but I don't know. It's, it says, they got more than me, the brain circuit for socially subjective reward valuation. And this one is um, working off uh, some previous work that's been done. I don't know if you've heard about this uh, from Fran Saval. He did the he worked with the capuchin monkeys and showed how they don't like inequality mm. in there. Oh, it's it's fascinating. You can uh, look it up. Franz Duval is the guy. He's done a bunch of animal research, but took, they put two capuchin monkeys next to each other and gave them a really simple task. The researcher would hand them a rock, and uh, the capuchin monkey would hand back the rock, and they would get a cucumber. And there's two monkeys side by side doing this, and they could do it. I don't know, like all day, like twenty, forty, fifty times over. They'll just here's the rock, cucumber, rock, cucumber. Well, all of a sudden they introduce inequality and they say, uh, you know, one of them gets the rock and gets the cucumber and the other one gives the rock and they get a grape and that's a prize. And then they love the grapes. And when the other monkey that saw they got the cucumber, saw the other guy get the grape, refused to hand the rock back, got mad, threw the rock at the uh, <laughs> at the researcher. It's, it's a great video. You ought to check this out. So what these guys are doing in this one, and this is from the uh, National Institute of Natural Sciences, they were able to actually go into the, um, the brain's neural pathways and disable the part that did the, the social rewards and the uh, subjective reward valuation, meaning that the, we have two different parts in our brain that are uh, at work, one that values something, and then the other that's in the, the medial prefrontal cortex, according to my notes here, um, w which understands people's relationships to each other, and then the lateral hypothalamus, which is involved with sort of that reward uh, aspect of it. So we see, we see people, and then we value what they're doing. That's a value that we put on it. So these guys working with macaque monkeys uh, in Japan were able to temporarily block the neural connections between these two regions. Mm. Uh, and using a technique that I had never heard of before, something called uh, it's DRED, or Designer Receptor Exclusivity Activated by Designer Drug. Blah. So we'll just call it DRED. So they gave them the DRED, and it temporarily blocked the connections between these two things. and In very specific parts of the brain. And, yeah. And uh, and I, I assume because it's a drug, it uh, is uh, wears off or something. Um, but I've never I've never heard of being able to do that. Have a, a drug that could block temporary block connections between these two regions or any regions of the brain. Have you yeah. ever heard anything like that? No, absolutely not. No, I can't. You know that it really is interesting. Like, what other applications could this be done to? Because we have. Uh, like mood controls, people have problems with, you know, if there's a, a you know, the famous Phineas Gage that has his uh, frontal lobe severed. But if you could actually sever it with a drug, you might be able to change people's moods, change their attitudes, mm -hmm. change their, oh, just, I mean, the, the limit. I mean, the interesting thing, of course, that, you know, the monkeys and, and social valuation is interesting. But I find the, the fact they have this, this drug now that can do this to be uh, now you were you were scared about the uh, the VR <laughs> headsets. This is like this is what scares me. What are they doing now? Okay. Also, the idea of it, you know being a mammal being wired uh, for inborn fairness is that um, does that kind of help balance out your your thinking that humans might be evil? Like if we have this idea that we should be fair to each other, 
Are you actually asking? I'm actually asking, Luce. Okay. Because you seem like, you know, like I said, you, you know, <coughs> thought we were, you know, corporations going to rule over. Well, people do have, you think about like Occupy Wall Street. There's a certain, you know, people get angry at the inequality. Mm-hmm. And that could be the great equalizer. Pacifying people through drugs. <laughs> I, I love it because like I mean like it's so it's so cheesy whenever people are like are like oh these like works of art these like books or these movies I mean I even referenced like Blade Runner twenty five forty nine earlier this episode but it's like as being the sort of representation of like nefarious like dystopian like future that could exist or whatever but I don't this sounds it sounds straight up like literally a brave new world yes uh-huh. uh and again like little... they're their proles like just take your dread or whatever and like you'll be cool not getting like the frosty flakes you get like crumbs or something yeah and you're, you're, frosty you're just fine like design. Design. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the one guy that doesn't take it he he hides his dread pill and realizes oh my god we're just getting crumbs and not the whole frosty yeah, flakes dude. yeah dude frosty flakes coming that guy's way for sure <laughs> keep that buddy all right that's what i uh <laughs> Those are my two articles I got for today. Obviously, this is such a you know growing field in, in psychology. We're going to be able to find uh, more for the next episode. And I just want a big shout out to everybody that uh, took the time to give us feedback on the episode, especially the, the AI bots that uh, left us feedback on Apple uh, podcasts. Did you uh, have a chance to read those? No. Yes, uh, completely written by, by AI, which is an odd thing. Like, why would somebody spend the time to feed our podcast into a machine to learn what we said and then write a review on it? It's kind of like they're... I mean, now I'm starting to see why these authors and stuff are complaining about these AI bots, these chat bots that have just been like, you know, you put all of the... You know, um, the only reason I could imagine would be that there's like some sort of like literary or like art criticism organization that's out there that's trying to generate like esteem or value by having just more reviews of more content that out there like look look how many things we've reviewed and sort of like our library of other reviews i don't know why um to the robots now listening to this episode yeah shout out thank you and yeah five stars please yeah um but one of them gave us four stars i know like what did i do different can i get something Uh uh-huh Although the other one did say that we are a gym, so uh, we'll take it like that. And that puts a wrap on this episode, episode two. Thanks for being patient as we uh, got this one out. Uh, Luce, any closing words? No. See you guys next time. Okay. And uh, as we closed last time, I, I said there was going to be some loose promise be there would be some music, uh, outro music, and never happened. So maybe when we get this to post-production, we'll get some outro music. I promise you there will be more unfulfilled promises. That's all I can. Ah, dude, that's what I love. All right, peace. Later.